Good morning, everyone. Welcome. Well done for getting here on time. And for those who are here, are already on time. I'm sure there'll be others joining us. Uh, I have uh, the great uh, pleasure of introducing Steve Morris. Um, just to make sure you're in the right place, but you've got tickets. This is the uh, Church for the Broken World seminar, and uh, uh, courage uh, to tackle injustice. And uh, uh, Steve's got a great story to tell, um, and uh, amazing what God has done. Um, and I, I, I just the privilege of, of seeing it. Uh, first hand uh, and, and being there for some of the, the milestones of what's been going on. But I just want to share the scripture reading uh, from Ephesians, um, Ephesians 3 verse 29, uh, sorry 20. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to the power that is at work within us. There's something about the story uh, that Steve is going to share which is far bigger then I think he could have imagined, we could have imagined, uh, God surprised us. And I want to start with that God is far greater than our dreams, far greater than the things that are in our hearts. And, and, and if we truly trust him, he would do immeasurably more. Because it's his power that is at work within us. So let's pray, and then I'll pass straight over to Steve who will tell his story and uh, hopefully at the end we'll have time for some questions uh, that Steve can uh, just uh, bat off and uh, see where we go, where the Lord takes us. Lord, we thank you that this is all about you, Lord. This is not about our clever ideas or our hard we work. Uh, Lord, this is about your power at work within us for your glory uh, and for your name's sake. And Lord, we thank you that we can be inspired by hearing other people's stories. Uh, Lord, but I just want to thank you uh, that each one of us have a story. Uh, Lord, because you're at work in each one of us. And so as we listen to Steve and, and what you've done through him, Lord, we want to give thanks for that and rejoice in all that you've done. But Lord, we want to commit uh, our story to you and say, Lord, work in us. Uh, Lord, that our dreams, our plans, that you can do even more than we can ever imagine because you are in control, you are sovereign, you are all-powerful, uh, you have all things at your disposal, and Lord, help us to put our faith in what you can do for your glory and for your kingdom's sake, we pray. Amen. 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 It's Mr. Steve Morris. Let's welcome him. Yes. Just so you know, I got off a flight yesterday morning um, from Cape Town, slept, and then came straight here. That's kind of like a disclaimer. It's an excuse before you actually speak. So uh, if, you, if you're upset with anything, I can blame that. Um, I'm, I'm going to work from the premise that um, I believe that you're already convinced that there's a biblical argument for what we're going to talk about. Um, so, so and most of you are smiling and nodding because we could obviously do a whole seminar here in unpacking the scriptures and, and, and trying to understand whether we as a church are called called to the broken, called to the margins, called uh, to serve where there's injustice. Um, so I'm going to work from the premise that you're you're by and large convinced of that. Um, that when you read the scriptures, you get that. The, the challenge for me was that I would sit in seminars and by the end be like, well, well how? What next? Like, what do I do? Or, or happened? So really, I'm just going to pick up from there. Um, when I was at Bible College, I was taught by someone called John Colwell, and it's weird. It's often in rooms like this, and he would sit on a table like this with his legs crossed, and um, and he wouldn't read uh, from an English Bible. He would read uh, directly from the original language, uh, and and would he would take reading his own translation. Uh, he was that good with the scriptures, and and would read. And you would just ask him loads and loads of questions. You would just sit there and fire your questions, and he would answer um, best he could. And he would always teach us this: the question that you need to ask yourself is, what kind of God? What kind of God? So that would be what what we would do if we were going to be here and unpack the scriptures and say, well, what kind of God? Like. What is God like? Why would he call us to this? What, and, and you would find yourself uh, in, in Luke uh, chapter 4 where Jesus introduces his ministry and he quotes from Isaiah and says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. What kind of God? When Jesus sits, you could, the first thing I was convinced of was that Jesus was God. The first thing I had to convince my heart of was that Jesus was Lord. So if I wasn't convinced of that, then everything else is really irrelevant. 
Um, so the first thing I had to, to wrestle with when I was younger was, do I really believe that Jesus is Lord? Do I have that conviction in my heart that Jesus is God? Because then, therefore, what he says becomes central. It becomes the defining narrative of my life. If, if I believe that and I say I believe that, my life needs to look like it. Um, someone comes to Jesus and says, you know, can you sum up the law? Or, or, or um, how do you read it? And he answers, love the Lord your God. Um, on the occasion that an expert of the law stood to test Jesus' teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What's written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied, do this and you'll live. They wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who's my neighbor? And Jesus replies with the parable of the Good Samaritan. We could again sit, but I'm sure you're convinced of that, but what kind of God? And, then, and John Cole used to teach us, the next question is, so what? And they would, they, would, they would listen to sermons or talks that we'd that we give them, and they would say to us, brilliant, brilliant, you've told us what kind of God, but so what? So I often think when I'm preaching now, I need to finish with so what? Like, you know, if you, if you just hear good stuff and, you, and you're convinced of it, but you're going away thinking, well, so what? What does that mean? Like, what, how do I actually live that? How do I do that? Um, so, as David describes it, we were working together, we were working out in Essex, um, and there was a growing conviction in my heart that there was a growing gap between my life and the Book of Acts. So I was reading the Book of Acts, uh, and, and feeling as though my life doesn't look much like this book. Um, and yet I say I'm, follow, I'm, I'm a follower, I'm, I'm saying I'm a disciple, I'm saying I'm a believer of Jesus, but my life doesn't really look like this book. So if I'm honest with you, where, where I would start, if, if, if you were staring at this question and going, I know we need to serve the poor, I know we need to partner with the poor, I know we need to move where there's injustice. One, one of the questions you need to ask is, where are the gaps in your life between what you're reading and what, and what you're actually living? Um, and I'm only asking you to do that because I, I found myself wanting to do that. I found myself sitting, and, and really this all kicked off uh, for us when we sat down, my wife and I and, and some friends of ours, and we used to lead a few conference stuff, we used to get to speak at that time, and we started to pray a prayer, we started to pray, God, would we live a life that people were so convinced we were following you that it could fit in this book? So, 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 so one of our friends would, would challenge us and say, if you were arrested tomorrow, it's the kind of thing you do when you're young, right? If you're arrested tomorrow for being Christian, would there be enough evidence for them to arrest you? Would, would you be convicted or would they not find enough evidence on you? And you think, ah, oh, would they, was there evidence, you know? And so it's kind of like that. And, and we, we literally, we, we, held, we held and we said, Lord, we're actually dissatisfied with the way we're living. So the first thing I would say to you is, uh, you first. You first. You must model this first. You must model this life first. You must model what it means to live by the courage of your convictions. Otherwise, to be honest with you, you're just moaning. And I just moaned. I used to moan. I used to sit, moan, and say, why doesn't the church do this? Why doesn't the church do that? Why doesn't people do this? Why don't other people do that? Why don't they do it? Until I eventually realized there's, there's no fruit in that. There's no fruit in me just moaning. It's actually easier to model than it is to moan. So, so, so I don't know, if we can model something, you can moan about something, right? But if you're not modeling something, then you can't moan about anything. Uh, so, so our life was, that was what was going on at that time. I'm going to give you like a five minute recap of our journey, which again could be another seminar of itself. And then we're going to fly into like how we actually articulated some of this. So basically during that, uh, during that period of time, we, we became as a family, my wife and I became, and we, we questioned a lot of our, our faith. We questioned a lot of our basics. We questioned a lot of what we were doing. Um, and, and we became very, uh, aware that we were living in, in, in a bubble uh, in, in the southeast of England that was quite a wealthy bubble that, that had access to London, that had access to, 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 to finance, and generally our material needs were pretty much met. Uh, and, and so, therefore, it was it, it, we, that's the kind of world that we lived in. And, and we were looking at the scriptures and feeling very challenged. And as part of that, I was asked to go out to Cape Town. Um, David will remember the meeting, we sat in a meeting together, I was probably half asleep, we were in a normal staff meeting, some friends of ours who'd left the church and been sent to do a work in Cape Town had come back to give a report, and David being the good leader, he was said, we'll support you any way we can, prayer, people, sending, that kind of stuff, they said, great, would you send Steve over to speak at a youth event? I thought this is the best meeting ever. 
I've just sat here and got a free ticket to Cape Town on the back of this whole conversation. That's what I thought in my head. And then they said, well, we'll send it, but it'll have to come twice because you'll have to bring a team out. So it'll have to go wreck it. And then I was like, I was literally messaging my wife after, you never believe this morning. I just landed two trips to Cape Town within the next six months. And, uh, and to be with our friends, I was like, this is as good as it gets, you know, relational mission. That is relational mission. <laughs> it's as good as it gets. I was like, this is perfect. And when I went out, um, what, what I saw and what I experienced was uh, in the Cape Flats. Some of you are familiar with, with townships, environments, you're familiar with South Africa. Um, Cape Town, Cape Flats. If you watch Ross Kemp on Gangs, Ross Kemp goes into the Cape Flats. If you see the new Channel 4, Reggie Yates, when he did Extreme South Africa, Reggie Yates went into the Cape Flats. So the Cape Flats is an extreme uh, example of the gang violence and the difficulties in the townships that are in South Africa would be summed up sometimes in, in, as the Cape Flats or in Joburg, you talk about Soweto. Um, so, so we were suddenly thrust from London into this environment of, of seeing uh, real injustice, uh, uh, the legacy of a horrific ra uh, racist regime. We were in uh, shacks, we were walking around, we took our children into these environments, and suddenly we, we realized we prayed this prayer and God was beginning to show us and unsettle us. And then I, I recall with the scriptures so often, Jesus, but before miracles would happen, it would say, Jesus moved with compassion. Jesus moved with compassion. What kind of God? That actually, you could stop there for just to reflect on that for probably 10, 15 minutes. What kind of God? But God is moved with compassion. That when Jesus would see injustice, it moved him. It, 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 his heart was engaged with what was going on. He didn't just walk past it. There was a lady as I walked to come here, and um, I don't know if you saw her, I walked from uh, Euston Square down to here, and, and she had a mat, and her, her knees were on the mat. Her face was totally buried. And she, you couldn't see her face, her hands were there. And she just had a bowl out in front of her asking for money. See, we walk past it. We, we, I, I'm not making a value statement. I know, I know we need to think through how we do these things, and that's what the seminar is about. But just firstly, I want to ask you, would that move you with compassion? What situation did she leave this morning? I know I did. How does she find herself on the street in London, head buried in hands, uh, knees on a mat, asking for money. We need to be moved sometimes to the root, and I was moved. So there's a, There was something in me that said, this isn't right, and I know I need to do something about this. I, I know. The conviction came upon me that I need to do something about it. So we chatted with them, and they talked about we were going to build an education center. And I could show you the videos of this. I, just, I didn't bring a laptop. Um, I didn't think I'd be able to. And Christians can never get sound and video to work at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> it's, yeah, it's like a spiritual curse on us. We can't do it in any environment, no matter how good the sound team is. You can't do it. Um, so I never generally did. But th I think there's a reason for that. If I show you my context, that's not actually what you need. So yes, we work in a cave flats. Yes, it's difficult. Yes, it's there. You don't really need my context. We just need to work on principles and then you need to put it into your context, right? So you're not coming to me to understand the context in the Cape Flats or the context in East London or the context in the areas where I've worked in Essex. You're actually coming for the principles of what we've learned, right? So, so we, 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 we hoped and we planned with, with a, a great friends of ours, Anton Rana, a couple that had left Chafford and gone back to South Africa to set up an education centre, um, to start working amongst young people in this township to start making a difference. And, uh, and we realised it would cost 40000 to build an education centre there. So we thought, we're going to do a little video on our phones. That's, that's, that's cheap in England, right? We can do that, we can raise 40000 And it's a very step, that is the stereotype that we're going to do, right? We're going to leave, we're going to solve the problem, we're going to build a building, we know exactly how much it's going to cost, I know exactly how many coffees that is that we need to pay to make sure we pay this and we're going to make a difference. And to be honest with you, we've, since 2013 to yesterday when I got on the flight, We've still been trying to figure out how to, how to make that building work, how to, how to reach out to the young people that we're serving, how to make a difference in the community that we're in. It costs. I didn't realise that was a cost. So when I came back, I prayed, God, would you make a way for us to build this building? Uh, you own the cap on a thousand hills, 40,000 to you is, is, is indifferent there. And God just simply said to me, your bank account first, Steve. Yeah. So if you give, then, 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 then we'll talk. You know, your bank account first. Now that's a challenge, right? Because I was young, I, I'm still young, I like to think, but I had one, I had, a, I had a child, we lived in an apartment, we owned a flat, and we wanted to buy a house, and I put all of our last seven years of life savings into one bank account, right? So to make a long story short, 
God was saying, all in or not all in? You ask, you want to live like the book of Acts? You want to or do you not want to? No problem, but your choice. So I said to my wife, you know, this is what I think God's doing. Fast forward two months later, I was at a conference um, where we were raising money amongst the young people um, to give to, to, the, to the centre. We thought we'd raise about one and a half thousand pounds. Um, I was then uh, a speaker that got uh, taken out of the main conference. His visa didn't pass at, at the airport. So I said to me, do you want to jump up, speak to 6,000 people tomorrow? Um, and uh, just give them what's on your heart, whatever you spoke about yesterday. But that was James, you know, faith without deeds is dead. We need to be a church that serves the poor, We're, you know. And I, and, and I, so I shot the, the only sermon I had, spoke for 35 minutes, and about 30 minutes in, when I was really talking about serving the poor, trying to convince people that we were all in, my wife and I, I said, this is what we're going to do. We're going to, you know, not, not move. We're going to give our money towards this. One lady put £20 over my feet. Other people start coming forward, so you got this funny situation where I'm trying to preach, they're trying to give, I'm getting more and more loud, they're getting more and more excited, and so we're all doing this kind of merry-go-round, and then there's money, money, money piling up around my feet, which is really weird, very strange situation. Um, and then at the end of the sermon, they say, let's carry on giving. So people are climbing over chairs, passing over money, and I have to go and speak somewhere else, so Christians and stewards start stewarding me off to go to another venue, it's all very odd. I preach somewhere else, come back, and they say, you've got no idea what happened this morning, do you? No idea at all. He said there was £30,400 put at your feet while you were preaching. So, well, we've got a problem now because you know, we needed 40 and we, needed, we thought it would take a year or so. We've raised it in like a daddy, you know. There's a businessman over there who wants to meet with you. He wants to give you £5,000. So we have 35000 and then um, I called South Africa and he said it was prophesied yesterday that God would raise every penny. It was prophesied yesterday. Well, we're not quite every penny yet, but we're, we're pretty close. Yeah? Like, we're pretty close. And by the end of that week, we were, we were, then there was a person who, who just so happened to come to one session in the, the whole week's conference, and he works for a, 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 um, a trust that support education projects in Cape Town and in uh, um, London, and in England. And he says, we want to give you £27,000. The youth then go on to raise £15,000. So we suddenly rolling, you know? We suddenly on a roll when it comes to, to this. So that's what I want to tell you in that story. The principle I've learned is this, that your heart and your conviction needs to be invested first. Because I think, I don't, I, I think people responded. When I chat to people who were there on the day, they said, we, we really responded to, the, to your passion for something. So people didn't actually know what I was doing. They would come up to me and go, you're the bloke who's building a hospital in South Africa, aren't you, mate? So no, not me. Education's there. I don't know about a hospital, but not yet, you know? They, they, wouldn't, they wouldn't know where we were doing it. They didn't know the name of the area where we were doing it. What they responded to was seeing somebody who was prepared to say, I'm all in first. I'm prepared to be all in first. So my question for you, in terms of what we're talking about today, is how much has this conviction from the Scriptures that Jesus is Lord, and this is what he's called us to, what he's called his church to, how much have you owned personally of that? How much is that, how much is that going to affect your bank account? How much is that going to affect your church's bank account? How much is that, and it's not about money, how much is that going to affect your time? It's about money, and it's not about money, it's about time, it's about our lifestyles, it's about our investment. But, but you first need to be fully invested and, 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 and fully... I said today, no, because normally I just stand up and tell stories. Um, I said, I've actually bought a, a book on church history here. Um, this is the kind of book I read on church history. It says, church history in plain language. <laughs> so if you're with me, and you need a little bit of plain language every now and then, and this is what it says. It says, uh, tracking the time between uh, AD, 100 AD and 300 AD, there was a huge expansion and growth of the gospel that that in any kind of history in any period of history you would regardless of whether you believe jesus is lord you'd want to study how on earth did this idea this did the idea of the gospel could you express so quickly and take hold of root of societies and upturned societies that were so well established um, and they say there was there were four reasons why the first was early christians were moved by burning conviction it's what we're talking about I was moved by compassion, so then that led a burning conviction in my heart. Which I want to ask you practically as you move forward, do you have a burning conviction about this? For what you want to see in your area, for what you want to see in your town, for what you want to see globally, do you have a burning conviction about this? It doesn't ha- and, and, and the burning conviction can be about something that you think, well, actually this isn't just such a big deal. 
I'm, not, I'm not even really passionate. I'm really passionate about it. Uh, and, uh, but I think the key thing is that you have the burning conviction. But the second reason the gospel spread so quick is that the gospel met a felt need in the hearts of the people. That was that they were able to contextualize the gospel very well. They were able to meet with people and explain very well why the gospel would be key to their lives and to their hearts. The third one was this. The practical expression of Christian love was probably amongst the most powerful causes of Christian success. Because Jesus' disciples would be marked out by their love. So, 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 so another principle I would draw is this. When you're moved by compassion for injustice, it, it, it naturally leads you to love. We fell in love with an area that, humanly speaking, we had no reason to fall in love with. It's a very small area. It's a one square, square kilometre of the Cape Flats. It's a very small, insignificant place in many reasons. Even people in Cape Town don't know where it is often, and we're having to explain. But I can tell you that, that we fell in love with that area. And the Sosa Foundation, which was established before too, we went to support and help. Um, and the Sosa Foundation now, our, our principle that we live by is that we're here to show unconditional love. We are here to show unconditional love. What that looks like, we need to work out. But we, we're moved to show unconditional love to this community. We serve predominantly the young people of the community, and I'll explain a little bit how we do it. The, the fourth reason was this, persecution and martyrdom. And I thought about that. I thought, what relevance does that have, Lord, to this seminar? Why, why would that be relevant to us? But, but I've summarized it in brackets as sacrifice. People respond where they see sacrifice. This is the youth, the youth first thing. There was, there was somewhat of a response to people saying, sure, okay, this, this young guy is going to sacrifice something here. He must believe this because he's prepared to put something on the line here. Um, fast forward and I'll, and, I'll, and I'll finish our story with this. Two months later, I read Ecclesiastes 5.4. If you've made a vow before God, be good to fulfill your vow. I realized, flip, I made a vow I was going to give my money. And I haven't done it because other people gave, but I know I need to give. So on a Wednesday night, we moved all the money that was in our bank account. We, we, we put it over with one person in the world knowing who's our friend in South Africa. On that Saturday, I get an email from somebody I don't know. He could even be in this room. I couldn't pick him up. We get an email from somebody saying, Steve, I got your email address from when you spoke at the conference. Um, I've been meaning to email you for a while. When you spoke, God uh, spoke to me and said that I'm a rich man and I'm to pay back that young man everything that he gives away. I'm like, wow, okay, this is cool. Normally I get emails saying, can I do a deal with a businessman who's got diamonds and are they just in my bank account details and you can all be part of that? This isn't one of those emails. I think this is a good one. Like, there's, there's some risk here in giving your, your bank details over, but, but this could work. So by the Saturday, he's giving us half of our life savings back. By the end of that month, we testify in church that Sunday. They've been like, we, we testify this stuff. Church is rocking. I'm getting emails from all over the world. Stuff's like, rock, you know, being asked to go and speak here, there, and everywhere because God's doing this amazing thing amongst us. And, and by the end of that month, by people giving, we, we've been back to the penny, everything we've given away. Our bank account was totally replenished. So we said, this is a way to live, right? Because we, we, we were beginning to say, we asked to live like this could be written in the book of Acts. That felt a lot more like the book of Acts than what we were living before. I was like, this, 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 there's something here that we're pressing into. And then suddenly the dream of owning a three-bedroom house in Chafford 100, as beautiful as that would have been, didn't seem to weigh up to what we were what we were pushing into here. We were like, maybe we've just centered around the wrong things. Maybe our heart was centered around something wrong with owning a three-bedroom house. Absolutely nothing wrong with that. But maybe our heart was just in the wrong place at that time and centered around the wrong thing. We wanted to be safe, we wanted to be comfortable. So we said, okay, well, well people start saying to us, well, you, you've got to really make sure that this center gets built. You've got to make sure that, um, it, it, you know, your money doesn't get lost. And it gives me scare stories of like times when people have done this and someone's run off of all the money or they've never built it. And then they built it and then the community burn it down because they don't want it and blah, 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 blah. All of this kind of stuff. So we said that we're beginning to have a growing conviction that we should move out and see this through. We are still seeing that through. So what happened in 2013? We are still seeing that through as a family. Right now, 2018, I left yesterday, got off a flight. The last two weeks, the community's been pretty much shut down through riots. The police have been shooting uh, rubber bullets at people. There's been tires burning on the entrances and the exits. And most nights we get messages about whether the building is at risk or whether the building's going to be safe. That's our reality right now, 2018. But the reality is we've now built a building that's probably three, four times the size of the one we want to do. We're serving 150 young people every day. We've got uh, matriculant rates, which is the end of year school exam rates. Nationally, 50% of young people will drop out of school before they uh, 
matriculate before they finish their end of year exams in South Africa. We've got a crisis of education. We've got a youth unemployment rates that are huge. We've got crisis of youth unemployment because of that. From the centre, where we provide four nights a week support, we provide social workers, we provide cook meals, we provide access to go and view universities, we've got anywhere between year on year a 90% to 100% pass rate for matriculants. We're running a youth unemployment scheme in the mornings where we see 65 to 85 young people come. So last few years, that's what I've been pioneering and piloting. We're working with the ones that are dropped out. So we work keeping people in school. We work both sides of that statistic, you understand, right? If you're told a statistic like 50% of young people in your uh, country aren't finishing high school, then you're going to have to work both sides of that statistic. You're going to have to try and improve schools, and you're going to have to try and help those who dropped out of school. That's how I think. How post this conversation? I'm asking you, is that how your church thinks? Because we see, we see that as our problem. I don't see that as a government's problem. I think in the UK, we see that as a government's problem. So we then argue about who we should elect as though the next political party is going to be able to solve that problem. <coughs> They're not going to be able to solve that problem. The next I've met with many politicians now and sat down. Why? Because politicians are also looking for answers. So when the church comes up with results like what we've shown, I'll tell you what happens. What happens is the politicians start to come to where you are. They started to find us in the middle of the cake flats and say, we've heard about these results, we need to talk to you. So I, I wonder whether, firstly and initially, we need to look at it and go, are, you, are we known for, being, for, for solving some of the problems that our local area has? So let me localise that for you, because it's easy to think about South Africa, it's easy to think, that's very far away. Let's talk about Chafford 100. In Chafford 100, which is in Essex, which is right by the Dartford Bridge, we began to take personally young people that got excluded from schools. Why? Because statistics show that if you're excluded from school, you're more likely to go to prison. You're more likely to be involved in a gang. And we were on the verge of East London and had done a lot of work in terms of gang culture in East London. Gang culture is a church problem. Exclusion from your local school is your church problem. It should, it should rile you, it should move you with compassion. The fact that some young people in our school system can't read is a church's problem. That's where I'm coming from in terms of the so what. We should be moved to want to make a difference. So we were offered an opportunity then to go on a journey in partnership with the local school, which ended up with us employing youth workers in partnership with the school that would take on and tackle some of those problems and keep some of the young people who are most at risk of being excluded, work with their families and try to keep them in school. I know some of you are sitting there and going, what does that have to do with the gospel? I get asked this so often. I get asked this so often, Steve, yeah, we like what you're doing, mate. We've heard about the young people getting employed. We've heard about the, the, the young people that are going, uh, staying in school that are there. But let's just talk about the gospel. Are people getting saved? I understand that question. I really do. I really do. And we need to wrestle deeply, deeply with that question, is what I would say. Because the premise that that's coming from is, is what you're doing just good work? Or is what you're doing moving people to respond to the gospel of Christ? So we, we, we need to wrestle with that. I don't want you to sit here and think, oh, this guy is one of them who's talking about social justice, but he's not really serious about evangelism. But what we have found time and time again was that when we love people genuinely, regardless of whether or not they'll respond to the gospel, they want to know about the gospel. When we really, when we really care, and when I say when you care, when I got the phone call from the mum that says that the young lad I'm mentoring right now in Essex is smashing up the house. He's literally so raging with his mum. She, she calls me and she says, he's smashing the house right now. Is there any chance you can come over? Because I don't know what to do. That point of response there tells you so much about the work that we invested in life. When your kid is smashing up your house and you want to call a church youth worker, we've done something for the reputation of the church and the community. Right? You've made your church so much more accessible to that person. So, so the message that you're bringing, that your life is bringing, that your words are bringing, yes, words are important. Yes, response to the gospel is essential. Yes, it involves all of that. I'm telling you that things are so desperate sometimes in the UK at the moment that the church is so unforgotten, the church is so considered not to have the answer, you're going to have to do a lot of pre-groundwork in terms of building reputation, in terms of being trusted, in terms of before you can even get to sharing your message, is what I'm saying. 
You mustn't then use the convic- lose the conviction of your message. You mustn't then lose the opportunity to, to speak. But I'm saying that we've learned that we'll be known by our love, and that will take a lot of that groundwork over. And then, of course, it takes leaders to sit around and discuss, how does this work, Steve? How do we see it? How do, do you know the youth groups grew? I don't think we did it particularly. We didn't do particular evangelistic outreach. We didn't do what looked like traditional evangelism. We just start to love our kids, keep them in school, be a support for them, start to meet them in the school playground, start to make sure they had trusted voices to speak to. And then they start to come to the youth groups. They start to come to the church. They start to come to be discipled. And then you get an opportunity to speak. Then you get a platform to speak because you've built a reputation to speak. It's taken me years to build a reputation to speak into the Cape Flats. They just rock up and start speaking to people. They want to trust you. Want to... There are loads of churches where we work. Loads of churches where we work. People almost had their fill of religion. But they, they, the reality was that the churches that are really thriving are those that know it must look like something Monday through Saturday. Must look, must outwork, it must look like something through those times. I've lost track of where I was in my story, and I'll get back to my notes in a second. Some learnings you're picking up on the way, I hope. Um, so we moved our money. We, we, we said, we'll, we'll move to South Africa, we'll put our money to one side, we'll, we'll go out, we'll, we'll partner with this work. Second principle to learn is this. People are surprised that wasn't a ministry that we started. So I'm really surprised that like, you weren't partnered with someone else. Like, we always thought this was, yes, we own our story, but you must know there was forerunners. There were couples that went before us. There was a couple that went before us and started this work. Now we work in collaboration with them and other couples and other individuals and other people. This isn't like a, a one, one family show or one, one person's idea or this one kind of thing. It doesn't matter if you've got an idea and you're like, but somebody's already doing that. That's okay. It's okay for you to partner with that. It's okay for you to actually say, do you know what, there's a really good program here for mentoring. There's a really good program here for working with people that are trapped in poverty. There's a really good program here for working with people that are trapped in addiction. You didn't have to reinvent the wheel. You didn't have to come up with everything new and recycle the, the, the thing. It's okay sometimes to say, you know what, this was never about me. It was always about Jesus. I think if I partner with them, we can do a lot more than we could have done on our own. That's okay. Um, so we moved to South Africa the second week while we were there, all of our money that we'd been given, as you know, when we topped all the bills again and we're giving them away, we realised for the second time in six to eight months our bank account had been totally replenished. So we emptied our bank account twice, so our bank account was stored twice. At the time when we realised, two hours later I was laying face down in a, in a shipping container in the middle of the Cape Flats while someone outside was waving a gun and the police were coming to arrest them. That's weird, hey? Sometimes it's just weird. You get these odd moments of like, God is so for us, why am I, like this is freaking scary, like what am I doing, like you know, you're like, and then someone tells you to pray, and it's interesting when you get asked to pray in that kind of circumstance, the lady next to me really knew how to pray, I think I just muttered a few words, you know, like, I don't know, but if I'm about to meet you, then are we good, are things okay, I hope we're okay, you know, so I'm trying to say, where I'm going with that is I'm trying to say that Sometimes you're just going to see the headline stories of people's lives, right? Oh, Steve Morris, he's that guy with this, 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 and this happened. But you're not going to hear the, the, the subtips or, or what went on in between these, these huge events or, or those difficult moments where you, where you were laying there thinking this has gone wrong or the times when we've employed people and they've gone backwards and it's totally blown up and given us a problem or, or the times when we've navigated difficult circumstances. So the, to the, the next kind of thing I'll say to you when you work in this is you're gonna, when you're working in the areas of injustice, you're going to have to realise you're coming into incredibly complex situations and there aren't easy, simple answers. And if you're looking for easy, simple answers, you're not going to get them yet. So just to, just to tell you that. Do you, I don't always share this, but it's sometimes helpful to say that. In between us giving our money and us receiving that, uh, me preaching on the stage, we lost the baby at three months. I... So I I wrestled with the fact that one of the greatest sufferings for us as a family came hand in hand with one of the greatest blessings. And the two seemingly ran a track like that in my life, suffering and blessing. So it challenged my simple theology that said, well, if if I'm in the lane that God is blessing, I'll always be blessed. One experience suffering. The more I've wrestled with suffering, the more I've gone into injustice, the more I've gone into people's stories, I've realised I don't really have easy answers. I've got, I've, got set of book, I've got a set of books and a set of stories that help me to navigate a good God. And I firmly believe in a good God. I firmly, I hold to that as, as a foundation. But 
But I know that as we wrestle with this kind of work, as we move into you are going to see incredible suffering. You will meet brokenness and you will meet broken lives and that will expose the brokenness in your life. Please know that. Other people's suffering and other people's brokenness will simply hold up a mirror to your own. And if I'm being very candid with you, what, what not all of you will be British, I understand that. But what most of our British visitors do when they come to visit us is they come with an arrogance that says, we know how to solve your problems. And your problems are solved through money and education. And the irony is our story involves money and education. But yet I've realized that I really came with nothing. Really came with nothing. God could have used anybody to bring that finance and he would have used any means to have got it there. I realise I don't have all the answers. I, I've lived by the, a phrase from James, uh, James chapter 1, um, that says, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. The problem, if you like, with, with what I see often coming from the UK is, we want quick answers, we want simple solutions, we want to boast about it with a video on Facebook. Do you know, I, I saw two young people in our, in our town and they were praying for this lady and there was one person, one girl praying for the lady, literally, she's, she's clearly seen this as a lady in need, we're on a mission, we're going to help her, she's praying. Her other friend is just off to the right recording the whole encounter on her phone. Now, something's very wrong about that for me. But that's the culture that we're in now. We, we do stuff quick, we want a quick fix, we want a quick solution, we want a 30 second video that we can show in church and we want to move on. Because we've done something about it. I haven't been able to move on. 2013, I'm still working it out, the building's got to be stable, the work's got to be owned by local volunteers and local people that are, that are working there before we can move away. The budget has doubled year on year on year, we employ 36 staff now. When I started, when we started, even when I went out to join the work, it was 8 people in the shipping container. That's 36 staff in a, in, a, in a big building. We're working with government and we're working with big funding, big trusts, trying to make a, a sustainable long-term difference in an area. The issue that you're carrying isn't necessarily something you're going to get over in a couple of months with a smart campaign and, 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 and a single offering. It's going to take you deep and it's going to expose you to, to deep, deep issues that are in our society. Uh, you don't realise how broken our societies are until we really start to plow into the areas of injustice. Where should you spend your time is an interesting question. Who then is the poor? Who is the Bible speaking about is, a, is an issue that I've been asked a lot. Who then is the positive? Should we only give to Christians? Should we give to support those who are also Christians? Should we, should we go beyond that is a question that we're asked and we're given to. Um, John Scott argues that biblically when we talk about the poor, we can separate that into to three sections. The first, those who lack basic necessities for life such as food, clothing, or shelter, and he calls those the indignant poor. The second is the oppressed poor, those who are powerless victims of human injustice or oppressive life circumstances, and he labels the third section the humble poor, those who acknowledge their helplessness and look alone to God for salvation. All of us who are Christian would acknowledge that we're in the humble poor, because you have to acknowledge that you're spiritually bankrupt before you come to Christ. There's, there's no other entrance door to come into Christ, to come into salvation. We must know that we're broke. Pick up the cross and follow me. We're saying we're humble, we are poor, we are broken. I came with an arrogance that said, I'm not poor, I'm not broken. I've got brokenness. I'm here to help. And then time and time again, I worked to people flip, I'm broken at that. Didn't realise. Flip, I had an oversight there. Flip, I wish I hadn't have said that. I wish I hadn't have acted like that. I wish my attitude towards money wasn't like that. I've realised my own brokenness in, 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 and, and realised that actually this isn't about, that's why I didn't, I didn't title this um, seminar and Mike's book I really like talks about partnership with the poor. It doesn't, talk, it doesn't use this language of you're poor, I'm rich, because I'm going to serve you or I, 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 you know, I, it says we're going to work in the, so I talk about justice, justice rather than, because I find there's nothing wrong with it, biblically the word poor is there, but what I find is that it's, it's sometimes better for us to talk about justice. Because we can talk about justice and both sit on the same side of the table. So how do we do something about this? This is injustice. This isn't right. How do we do collectively something together about this? I hope one day to back out of that day-to-day -day work. We're not trying to build something around us. We're trying to build something that's sustainable, that's deep, that's, that's alongside local people, that have got access to people that I don't have access to. 
that, that can challenge and that can, uh, and can really speak into culture from far more sensitivity than I can. So I had to play my role and understand my role and somehow we had to try and galvanize each other to be on the same page. The whole like, you know, I'm here to help you, I've got ideas, I've got money and, and we can do this, isn't going to cut it. It's not going to cut it. People come, can you imagine that the work's been going on now for seven years, we've seen all the things I've mentioned to you and within 30 second conversation with someone, uh, after they've had a look around, they'll be telling us what they didn't see and what we should be doing. And what the, can you imagine? I never saw that arrogance in our culture at all until I was on the other side of it, right? My, many of you have never ever been called a foreigner before. Do you know the first time I was called a foreigner, it hit me like, wow, flip. They're actually talking about me. Because I'd never been a foreigner in the room before, right? I'd always been in the UK. So suddenly it's all, like, they're talking about me. And my wife's from Colombia, she said, thank you, and huh? welcome to my world. Let's now catch up on some of the injustice. Honestly, I, I, was, I, I, was, I had huge blind spots to culture and to understanding and, 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 and to how, how this would outplay. We, they talk a lot in Cape Town about white privilege. Understand your privilege. Understand it there. I don't think that conversation is anywhere near as developed in the UK as it is in Cape Town. Because Cape Town has had to wrestle with its political past. It's had to wrestle with, with that. And be, that's a very volatile word when people talk about it. I understand that. Um, but but when you're going to go into issues of injustice, you're going to have to wrestle deeply with, with, with these issues and, and, and really listen. That's why I said be slow to speak, be quick to listen, and be, and be slow to get angry. Normally, if you're wired like us and you want to do something with injustice, you're really, really angry about an issue, you speak about it all the time, and you don't listen to anybody that disagrees with you. Okay, right, because that was me. That was me. But now I've had to learn, actually, we're going to flip this round, we're going to have to slow this down, and we're going to have to do this very, very differently and, uh, and run it around. Um, interestingly, uh, in, I'm going to flip back to the other book. It says the practical expression of Christian love was probably amongst the most powerful causes of the early Christian success. What did this look like? Tertullian was a church father, father of Latin theology. He explains that pagans remarked, see how these Christians love one another. They remarked, from the early days of our faith, see how these Christians love one another. Or it was almost an offence to them. Flip, these guys are good at loving one another. We are trying to get rid of this faith. We are trying to get rid of these people. And flip, they're good at loving one another. Wouldn't it be nice if that was said about us? Not nice. I don't actually like the word nice. If I preach and you say it's nice, then I haven't really preached. Not nice. Nice is <laughs> nice you're not going to do anything about it. Nice is thanks for coming, mate, but... Yeah, we're okay, you know? It's not nice. That's, that's how things keep up. Right? When people are able to, to look at something and say, wow, like, you guys love each other and that's annoying. You're frustrating us because we're showing people a different way that they don't want to accept is true. They don't want to accept it like work. They don't want to say, how did that practical, practically work out? Care for the poor, care of the widow and orphan, visits to prison, and acts of compassion during famine, earthquake, and war. That's how it worked out, predominantly in those early days. That's how it worked out. There was an emperor um, called Julian at the time. I love this, that what he writes. He's really upset with the Christians. He's trying to call everybody back uh, to the, um, obs uh, uh, the observance of traditional Roman religion. So he calls Christians atheists. That's like a quote for that alone. That's interesting. He says, atheism, i.e. the Christian faith, has been specifically advanced through the loving service rendered to strangers and through their care for the burial of the dead. It is a scandal that there is not a single Jew who is a beggar and that godless Galileans care not only for their own poor but for ours as well, whilst those who belong to us look in vain for the help that we should render them. It's a scandal. Those Christians and the way they love and the way they care for people that aren't even amongst their faith, the way they do things that are countercultural, like have honour and respect for the dead and bury the dead, we need to find those countercultural touch points that are for us. That was a touch point in that time, the burial of the dead. The, the honour and the respect given to people uh, when, when it came time to them. What are the areas that, that society, if you like, has lost respect for? And we need to actually become an irritant to them and say, you may not think it's important that in most British towns there are people that have been trafficked for sex, but we think it's important. And we will annoy you and frustrate you, and you will hate the fact that we will continue to raise it up that's going on in our town until we eradicate it. That's the equivalent. 
We find it an absolute abomination that in the UK at the moment there would be a child that would leave primary school and not be able to read. So we're going to release every single retired person in our church to go and bless our local schools and teach our kids to read. What does a politician do to that? Okay, sure. The problem is that we go to the government and say, can we have money to help us do what we're doing? Would you help us? Would you get money to If I did a seminar on how to get money out of government, for your social action project, it would be packed. Packed. People say, oh, Steve, they know we would get asked to do stuff like that. How do, you, how do you get money out of the school? How do you get money out of the government? How do you get money for what you're doing? It's the wrong way of thinking. How can we give? If, if, if our town doesn't have enough policemen, if we thought about supporting our local authority by money to, to pay for some more? No. Because that's for the politicians to worry about. If our schools are over, uh, are totally maxed out, and our teachers constantly work at weekends to catch up with their marking, and they're stressed and they, and they can't handle all of the difficult children that are in their classes, have we thought we could be a solution? No, because that's a government problem. We've palmed off these issues, and so we're not going to stand. We, 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 there's nothing wrong with politics. I'm not anti-politics. I quite enjoy it. But what I'm trying to say is not. It's not. A, it's not going to save us. It's not the saviour for all of our issues and for all of our town's ailments. We need to partner in with it and say this is what we're doing. And this is what that looks like. We, I said we started an employment project over in South Africa and um, we, this is what we did basically. The government ran a, a good programme called Youth Cafes and the Youth Cafes were a good project that, that were trying to see unemployed young people get skills and jobs. So we train baristas, we train hairdressers, I run an artisan bakery, believe it or not. We sell bread, we train bakers, I know you can't imagine that at all, but we sell, we train bakers, we train plumbers, tilers, welders, and we get them into jobs, okay? First set, we did 85 young people, 82% uh, of them completed the course, and 75% of them went on to jobs and further education and other kind of work. We got significantly good results, right? because of the love, the care, everything I'm trying to uh, tell you. Some of those young people are transitioning into our church, some of our leaders, all of that stuff is happening, okay? What happened at the beginning? We had an empty part of our building that we couldn't fund. In the middle of that project, we ran out of money. Uh, a, a friend of ours in America, now as a friend, he wasn't at the time, his business did really well. He promised us two years before he was gonna bless the foundation. He gets 100,000 US dollars over a weekend when we thought we were gonna totally run out of money and not be able to pay our salaries. I'm just giving you some reality, right? It's not like, it's weird at times you think, flip, we're going to run out of money. And we're like, all right, Mark, when we've come back, tell everyone what we're going to do. And then we still run out of money, even though we've had all this money. But God constantly provides for us. But we looked at this last bit of the building, we thought, we haven't got the money to finish it. Then this young boy came from the UK visiting with his parents. And um, his mum said to him, this is his aunt, actually, he said to him, do you have anything you think Jesus might be saying? This is very nice, isn't it? It's very nice. Charles goes prophesy. We all encourage him in his faith. You know, so we all stand still, let the child speak. Child speaks. The child looks and says, Jesus says, finish it quick. <laughs> you want to ask Jesus where the money's going to come from? Do you want to ask Jesus where the partnership's going to come from? No, you don't. You've never seen a friendly partnership for winner. He's got the Jesus finish it quick, right? So we're like, oh, look. Because we, here's the problem. We've been trying to do this thing, and the government, had, we haven't got that partnership with local government yet, right? So we're like, well, that's kind of like the equivalent of your church opening a job centre and calling it Job Centre Plus, but not being in any partnership with the local government. They'll come to you and say, you can't name it this. That's our name. You can run a job centre, but you can't name it. So we had named it. So we finished it. We built the project. We built all the infrastructure, we put it all in, we said what we were going to do. Someone else from government came to open the building, right? And emails that says, what an amazing youth cafe, it looks wonderful, the education centre looks brilliant. Next person emails, there's not a youth cafe in that area. It goes up to the next person in the chain, more and more government officials being put on the email. Yes there is, I've seen it. No there's not, more people on the email, plus us on this email. We're like, now we are in big trouble. Because it's gone up to the head, the director of social development for the whole of the Western Cape. Which is like our, that's like the, 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 the whole of like London equivalent, right? For the whole of our area. We're like, oh, what have we done now? What are we going to do? So then he says, if there's such a good youth cafe, we're going to come and visit it. So 15 of them come and visit the youth cafe. And Cause we just, so Anton and I are good talkers, as you can tell, we're good at blagging it. He's like, 
you've got like this because you've got us into this one. And I'm like, we like chatting. Well, I don't know. He's like, well, tell them your ideas. We'll talk. But so we tell them our, our ideas. We tell them what we're going to do. We tell them why we've looked at their model, why we thought it wouldn't work. We were like, oh, this is what we think you should do. This, uh, like, this is how it could work. Exact same response that the emperor, or whoever he is here, gave, which was this. He says, you've given us a problem. So why? It's because we think you're going to do this. It's obvious by everything that you've done. Okay? Here's the problem. We think you're going to do it really well. Okay? And the problem? The problem is if you do it really well and we're not partnered with us, you'll make us look bad. It's that same thing, right? These flipping Christians, they've got to build a youth cafe. They've called it a youth cafe. These Christians are nuts. They're going to serve the unemployed young people. They're going to get them employed. And we can't take the credit. And they want to use our name to do it. So what so did they do? They partnered with us. Called us up Tuesday and said, Steve, we're going to call you Man of Faith. Man of Faith, your faith's being rewarded. We're going to partner with you. And they gave us the biggest partnership we'd ever got. So we're now partners with them. We now have the model. The model that we told them on that day is now being spread across the other youth cafes in the Western Cape. We're being asked to run others in other towns and in other areas. Because the church actually had an answer. And the church said, well, this is our issue. So it's said to politicians, that's fine, we're here to serve the do, you, do we have to pay for it? No, we've already paid for it, we've already built it. Okay, what do you want us to do? I don't know, just partner with us if you want to. We just, we just want to serve you. We want to serve you. We don't expect you to serve us, we don't even expect you to give us any money. We just want to serve you, and we would like that to look like partnership. Then the, the Minister of Social Development, who's like top of the tree, goes into Parliament to talk about social development, brings the head of the biggest casino in Cape Town, their CSI department, which is their corporate giving department. So you're sitting with the head minister here, the head of uh, said bingo giving, to make the, not bingo, to make the, what's the word? Casino, look good. Around the table with me, minister says to casino worker, do you know why we work with the church? She says, no, no. She says, we work with the church because of the integrity that these guys show with their finances. We know that we can trust this place with money because they show us evidence of everything that they do it. Because integrity with finance is a big issue in Cape Town, right? We've just lost the president because he wasn't he didn't have integrity with his finances. So understand they said touch point of the gospel here, you guys have got integrity with money, then we'll partner with you because we'll see change. She says it. He came to our building. Do you know what he said about what we do? He said, Do you know what I like you guys? He said it's theology with legs on. This is a government minister. Says it's theology with legs on. So I see a lot of churches tell me they're going to do stuff, but I don't often see them actually do it. Actually walk it out, actually live it out and uh, make a difference. I'm, I'm way out of time, I've got way off my notes. Um, I've said this, what I would talk about, which I didn't, would be you need to have a commitment to prayer. You must know that I'd like to think if you took me to prison and you tried to find out if I prayed, I wouldn't be able to deny it. With a commitment to following prophecy, where people come and give prophecy, where they come and prophesy, where they partner with us. We've got serious commitment to the local church. You'll be pleased to know. I, I've taken that as a given and I've stood here that you'll know that we represent our local church when we do this work. Yes, we run an NGO, but we've tied it into the church's structure so that eldership has to be on the board of the NGO. And then there's a, there's a constant connection between the church and what we do. You can ask me about that if you want to. We believe that evangelism and social action work hand in hand. We don't really believe in the fight between the two. We just simply love them both. I think you need to be really careful around areas of burnout, your own emotional health, your own emotional well-being. When you are confronted with brokenness, you need to have a deep, deep well in yourself. You need to have a deep, deep well. I worked with you last week alone. I was sat before a young man who'd been shot in his head twice, and he had his head stapled back together. Just at the beginning of this year, I buried a six-month-year-old baby. I want you to know, when you do an open coffin, funeral for a six-month-old baby of one of your staff members, you need to have a deep, deep work within you. Otherwise, you will burn out and, and, and you won't be able to achieve what, what you believe that you, you've been set out to do. And I think you need to ensure that your initiatives are locally lit, are, are owned, wholly owned, that you've got the cultural diversity you need in the room, that you've got the, the voices that you need in the room, that you've got the people that, that will be there. And, and, and other than that, I just want to tell you that we need nothing special as a family. Please don't put us up on a pedestal for giving away money or for being part of so we did. We took the scriptures, we sat in a local RM church, and we said, God, our life doesn't look much like the book of Acts right now. We love it too. 
if you'd use us, we're really willing to do it. That'd be very normal. We've got two kids, we're expecting one on the way. My kids use nappies, they stink. <laughs> Tell me, my, my little girl woke up three o'clock in the morning this morning because she's confused about where she is. I left the house this morning, I've probably forgotten some stuff on the way. We're very, very normal. We're not superhuman. We've just got a God who, when you get in this lane of justice and injustice, he says, I'll back you. If that's your cause, I'll back you. I'll come behind you and I will support you. I'll raise up what you're doing. And, uh, and out of that normality, God's done some great things amongst us. And we, we're really proud. We're really pleased with what God's done. We're proud of what's been achieved. We're proud of it. And we're, we're so grateful God used us to achieve what's been done there. It was a privilege of our lives to be wrapped up. Questions? Yeah. Great. And uh, it's, it's hard to do justice to the story in an hour. Um, there's so much more. Uh, so, uh, another thing, we've got five minutes left. So, yes, some sir. quick questions. Okay. Um, uh, we may just get, it depends how long the answer is, we'll get one or two. So, who's got a, anything you want to ask on that? Put your hand up and we'll see if we can get that question yet. Yeah, so my question is, uh, what was the model of the youth cafe that you had? So what was the model of the youth cafe that you have? Yeah. That's a good question. So we came up with a model ourselves. Um, we uh, pioneered a six-month model, which we called the 141 model. The first month was life skills. The next four months was skills training. And the last month was a commitment to getting young people work experience, a decent CV. Um, and uh, reference. So the model was, if you took a blank CV from a neat young person, not in any education, employment or training, what would it look like six months later for that to be a full CV? So we said you need a job reference, you need some experience, and you need some form of skills and a certificate that people would understand. So that looks different in the UK, and there's, there's far more regulation around some of those, but there are certificated courses, and there are churches that have models of um, David would know more than me about this, of uh, additional educational. So in, when I was younger, it was called a GMDQ. Um, now what is it called? A BTEC. BTEC, you know, like BTEC certificates. Churches actually equipping themselves to be able to offer young people BTEC certificates and working there. So that's our model. Our model is, firstly, we need to work on life skills because the, the businesses, and then we had a whole network of business partners. The businesses we met said, we don't employ young people from that area, not because they don't have skills, but because they don't have life skills. They don't pitch up on time. They don't dress appropriately, they don't speak appropriately, they've got a bad attitude when they do things that are wrong, blah, blah, blah. So that's life skills, right? That's not skills. Um, so we knew we had to do that first. Then they have to graduate life skills, and then they come in uh, to skills training, and we've got various skills tracks, and then they go into being released into jobs and uh, working for work experience. It's been successful, it's been really good. I think there's equivalents that you could, I think your context will be different to mine, so really you're going to need to draw principles of that and say, how does that work for me? Yeah. Hey, okay. um, yeah. if you don't need to, I totally get your point about the world's problems or the church's problems. That's brilliant yeah. point. If you've got any advice on how you how you have prioritised which which problems to address first, yeah. on the basis that there's no shortage of things the church could address, but yeah. trying to do them all, yeah. you shouldn't. Or any advice on yeah. how you prioritise so the question is, have we got any advice on how we can prioritise? There's so many needs in our communities, what do we do? I would say, what have you got in your hands? What have you got in your congregation? Um, so that, when David and I were in Chafford, we had a lot of youth workers amongst us. So if you look at Anton and Alana, who've established this, myself and Diana, we've got now 10, 15 years worth of youth work experience. So it made sense for us to, to, to work with young people. It just it aligned in terms of, if you look humanly speaking and say, what's in their hands? What was in our hands was, was youth work. We knew it, we, 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 we breathed it, you know? So I would, I would say to you, what, what is it that's in your hands? What's in your community? Do you have a feel for what's going on in your community? Sit with your local, pol sit with your local police, sit with your local politicians, sit with your local head teachers and say, as, if we as a church, how can we serve you? We asked our local head teacher, I said, we would love to serve, how can we serve you? We just said, how can we, and she said, we really struggle with kids that get to from school. I said, tell me about that. I just, want to know. I just want to understand. So I think you need to ask key players in your community, what problems does this community really have? And then I think you need to look in your church and be creative around how you can solve it. Because one of the creative things you need to do is we, we would say, we've got kids that are on the verge of joining gangs. But predominantly, 
in the first church I worked at, we had like a, quite an elderly congregation. So hence why I said, well, to work with gangs is really, really difficult. To actually approach a gang and try to work with a gang is very difficult. To work preventatively on gangs is a lot easier. We kind of had that in our hands. So we then read a report and the report said most uh, young men at that time that were in prison had low reading ages. And there was a direct link between the reading age and exclusion from school and going to gangs. So we worked downstream there and said, we're not sure we can solve that, but let's work downstream here. We can do, we can help reading levels in school. We can work on the issues of a 14 year old getting excluded from school. So that's the kind of thinking that we did, I think. And then, and then really, obviously, um, we rely heavily on the, someone coming in and, and, and praying and prophesying and, and saying that school or that area or that thing, that's what's on you guys. And maybe other people see it a bit easier than you. Um, so for, for a while, I didn't think I was that passionate, really. I was like, oh, I'm not. But then other people called it out of me and said, you, you've got passion, that's what you've got. Like, you've got faith, don't try and be too clever. Just, that's why I, I joke about it. Said, Don't try and be too clever. Just speak what you've got. What's in your hand? So I, I think if that's helpful, that's where I'd start. Yeah. Um, I am aware that there are other things <coughs> happening at half past ten. Prayer walks and stuff like that. So I'm not sure if anyone needs to go. Please feel free to go if you've got a half past ten prayer walk or anything like that. Um, but if you're happy, we can just take a couple more questions. Yeah. Um, so I'm from Camden, just down the road, and there we've got an awful lot of homelessness, mental health and addicts. Yeah. Um, I know it's not primarily what you've been working with, but I imagine that there's a lot of similar issues in the area. So I'm wondering if there's anything that you've learned or seen, whether it's in Cape Town or, or in Chapel, anything that you've seen that's, that's been helpful for working with that? Yeah. Um, yes, is the answer um, to how we've seen that. Um, we, so now, in the model that we do, we, if, if, you, if I brought the team out that do the work, I talk about the work and I'm part of it, obviously, and I'm part of leading it. If you see the people that do our work on the ground, they are very often people who have journeyed out of that story, are now established in faith, and have been grounded for quite a while, and are now speaking back into that story of clarity. So, we work with ex-addicts who have been clean for a while, it's not to say there's any guarantees with that, and then we speak back into that story with, so I would say to you, it's kind of like a principle in evangelism as well, finding the person of peace. I think you need to find people of peace that can speak into that story to help you and to guide you. And that doesn't mean there's not a role for you, if that's not your story, I don't know you, but that doesn't mean there's not a role for you. But what your role will often be then is to mentor, advocate, and open a door for that person of peace to be able to to speak into those those stories, and I don't I don't think there are I think there are programs for all of those things. Um, I think we need to talk principles before programs. So you need to decide what are our principles in these areas. However, so we have a principles organisation, which is that we will release our staff to go into rehab if they feel that's that's what they need on principle. We won't close that job down. We'll hold it open for a certain amount of time, and we will work out support and and pastorally for them. So I think that in terms of homelessness and, and addiction, those are well-worn paths, well-trodden paths in London. So you're going to find people far more articulate than I that will draw principles for you from there. What often can happen in those programs, some of the biggest programs here that we've got in London started with the heartbeat of the church in mind, and then 50 years, 100 years later, the gospel is not anywhere to be seen. We're talking about secular organisation that would reflect back on its history that started from the church. So I would ask you from day one, how are you going to ensure that your church community will go on this journey with you? Are they going to reach? And that is longer journey, right? I had to sit in lots of meetings with leaders, like trying to articulate my heart or articulate things. But I think it strengthened the journey for the church, and it's meant that the some of the work is now changed, developed. I mean, but the work still exists post Diana and I leaving because it wasn't just owned by us. You, you, it takes that longer journey. I would walk with elders, walk with those prophetically, and say, what do you see? I think you need people of peace that understand the programs, and I think you need to look for programs that are tried and tested to, to, to have been able to understand the complexity of those issues and not provide you with simple solutions. There's a very good church in East London, in Ilford, where I started my ministry, that um, started with a homeless outreach and is now running a centre that works with 100, 150 uh, people over there. They built flats 
that they can start when they build a new building. That's the, that's the world I grew up in, so you kind of see why I'm bent where I am, right? That they were doing that while I was a teenager. They've now bought starter flats that people can move on into. So there's some great examples of churches that are doing what, you, what you're talking about. Um, but I think I would work on principles first before we get into program. Tell me what are your principles to how you're going to work, what you want to see, and then we can find some programs that will be helpful or we can begin to craft one. That's there. And, 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 and go for it. Don't be put off by people. I've had so many people tell us we won't be able to do what we're doing. So many people will tell you, ah, oh, flip, welcome to Holmes, you and Alex, no man, but you'll never, you will never be able to do it. But we've had loads of people tell us we couldn't do what we did. There was one lady from an expert coffee company. She told us you'll never convince people in this community to drink espresso coffee. They only drink instant coffee. Now we train 24 baristas in that community every six months. Never mind fifty people drinking coffee. We've got three full coffee machines. We've got baristas in our local town. All there. People won't see what you see, but that's okay. It's all right. Just got to roll a bit and go for it. Great. We, we need to finish. Um, thanks, Steve. Uh, yeah. If you want to chat with Steve, he's going to be about, he's doing a sense seminar this afternoon, yeah? Yeah. but he's about in between, grab hold of him, uh, bend his ear, find out a bit more, there's a lot more to find out, um, but let's just pray, shall we? let's just yeah. pray for each other, yeah. someone just, just stand up and pray for Steve and the work out there, yeah. Um, someone, yeah, great, someone just do that for us. A prayer in the room? Someone who can pray? Yeah, well done. Father, we just thank you for your hand upon Steve yeah. and his family. Yeah. Thank you for what you birthed in him, Lord, which yes. is now overflowing and transforming a community, Lord. We, we want to pray your blessing upon that work out there, Lord. We want to pray that it would just go from kingdom strength to kingdom strength. Lord, we pray for more lives to be touched, more lives to be yeah. transformed. Uh, Lord, we pray your hand of protection upon him and his family, uh, their unborn child. Lord, we just want to pray that you would really serve all of them and continue yeah. to bless them. And Lord, we just pray that even from what he's doing out there and the team are doing out there, Lord, that even in this room today, that it would birth many more community transforming projects. Lord, we just yeah. pray that you would cause our hearts to stir and uh, to, be, to be surrendered in the way that you stirred his heart to be surrendered, Lord, and, and that we would be able to come back in years to come and talk about our stories about how we're seeing our towns and communities transformed as a result. Yeah. So just pray your hand and your blessing upon him this family as well. Amen. Amen. Thank you everyone. Have a great day. Bless you all. Yeah. Thank you, Steve. Well done. Yeah. Oh, okay. so you got I